This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Launchpad on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Launchpad here on Business Radio, SiriusXM 132. I'm Rob Conybeer, a founder and managing director at Shasta Ventures, a leading venture capital firm where we focus on investing in early stage companies. So today I'm thrilled to have the CEO and president of Sentient Jet, Andrew Collins, joining me on Zoom today. He's joining me on Zoom from Boston. And for people that aren't familiar with Sentient Jet, it's been around for about 20 years. They invented the Jet Card, which you may have heard of or aspired after. And Harvard Business Review is called Sentient Jets, the Uber of Private Jets. Andrew, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Rob. Appreciate it. It's great to be on the show. So just to start off, um, how is the private aviation industry and private jets, how are they doing in this pandemic that we're in right now? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I think a lot of folks see the headlines and, and most of the time, when you're looking at, at you know, the media, it's really around commercial and commercial travel. Um, I would tell you surprisingly, and maybe not so surprising, uh, private aviation has actually, uh, you know, returned to a level uh, that we were seeing last year and fairly close to what we were budgeting for this year. And that's mainly because the, you know, personal consumer has really thought about avoiding crowds and avoiding exposure points. And that sort of fueled a lot of business travel, or excuse me, personal travel. Uh, I would tell you that most of what we're seeing in the space, whether it's our business or I suppose if you asked around, you'd see that it is personal kind of shelter to shelter movement. Uh, There's not a lot of business travel to be had though. Uh, And and we're sort of all waiting for that to come back. And, And normally, in private aviation, you see about a 60% business usage to 40% personal travel split. But right now, I would tell you that north of 90% of the travel is really around uh, around the person and, and family travel. So for people that aren't familiar with Sentient Jet, what, what is Sentient Jet? So Sentient was founded uh, to take apart sort of what is known as the charter market. Uh, it's a very fragmented market. Uh, that really required uh, more of a sophisticated product set. It's kind of your classic, uh, I think, business model uh, case study, which is you have a lot of operators out there that operate private jets, and they tend to not have models where they have a lot of sales and marketing uh, or they have a limited amount of sales and marketing and service. Uh, It is a passion industry, and, and we discovered 20 years ago that with this fragmentation and with sort of, uh, you know, very limited overhead, um, folks did not have access to a large customer base. And so we figured out uh, a way to productize that capacity. uh, So all the jets that are out there on operating certificates, uh, and we turned it into something called the Jet Card. And the Jet Card simply allows you to pre-purchase 25 hours of private jet time uh, on any size aircraft that you like. And uh, within 10 hours advance notice, we can procure a jet for you anywhere in the continental United States. 
So it's a great model that is, you know, has a services layer, uh, kind of meets um, a hospitality layer, uh, and really does uh, allow for folks to have also a predictive way of flying and understanding how much they're going to spend or how much they're going to fly. It's really easy to use. Uh, it's very transparent in both pricing uh, as well as in terms of how we work. And it's pretty much one call does it all. Uh, so it, it's been a model that's, that's really flourished. And as I said, we've, we've got 7,000 cardholders uh, to this day. So for somebody that has never flown on private aviation, what, what is that experience like? You know, from the moment that you call or you have your assistant call, how is it different than flying commercial? You know, I, I think that the expectation of flying privately is one where it's, you know, as frictionless as possible. So uh, you should be able to book in a multitude of ways, whether you're utilizing a mobile app or you're working with one of our senior concierges, uh, but you're ultimately booking a flight that instead of accessing, say, 500 commercial airports around the United States, you have access to 5,000. So you really can dial into where you want to leave from and where you want to arrive at. Uh, you leave everything to a company like us. Uh, we figure out everything from what's the appropriate aircraft for your mission. Uh, we make sure that all the uh, elements that go along in a journey are taken care of, whether that's catering uh, or that's different you know, treatment plans or service levels that a client requires. So you should really have a seamless kind of, you know, curb to tail back to curb experience with us that's got your communication preferences in it. And, uh, yeah, and, 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 and part of what I'm talking about is I think for people that have never really done it, they don't really realize what a special experience it can be. And I remember the first time that I was invited along in somebody else's jet. And I remember making sure I was on time, but we walked into a terminal that was kind of around the back of the airport in San Jose, walked in and literally 60 seconds after I parked my car and walked in the terminal, we got on the jet and another 30 seconds later, the jet was actually taxiing out onto the runway to head down to Southern California. And just the experience of not going through security and the time savings was just unbelievable to me. I just, I had never experienced it before. I don't know if you have any other kind of stories around this you share for people that have never experienced it, like just how special that experience is. Yeah, it is. And, and you're hitting it perfectly, which is there's a control factor, right? So you can be, your car can pull right up to the tail of an aircraft. And many times you can walk right on board, you can taxi out. So you're not uh, on a set schedule per se. You've chosen what time you want to fly out. There's flexibility on when you can fly. And then Ultimately, you're saving a great deal of time uh, in terms of what you would normally go through going commercial. So we all run off of the same watch, but private aviation really allows you to manipulate it. So to your point, you can yeah, pull right up at the last minute. You can get on and you can fly. So and, and one of the things I really remember about this first trip that I did was we got to the other end. We ended up landing at this very small airport. And the rental car was sitting right next to the plane. And the three of us got out. We got in the rental car. We went through the, the gate out of the airport. And then we were at the company we were visiting about five minutes later. It was unbelievable. It was, in a lot of ways, it was easier than heading from San Jose up to San Francisco for a meeting because I didn't even need to worry about finding parking. So 
One of the things that I wanted to ask about is you, you've been with the company for a while, something like 16, 17 years now? Correct, yeah, 16 years. And, yeah, uh, so you, I've survived so you've probably seen, 16 years. <laughs> yeah, so you've probably seen a lot of changes. And one of the things that I, I recall in the, the trip that I took was with a company called NetJets, which I'm, I'm sure you're very familiar with. This is the Warren Buffett uh, company. And there were a number of people doing uh, the jet cards, et cetera. And it looks like Sension has been the one that has really survived here was there a lot of consolidation in the category how did it how did it unfold maybe the kind of the story of your experience uh with the company yeah it's a great uh question and and you know perfect in the sense that it's really about the model and the way we chose to go about finding our supply and partnering with operators and reducing our exposure to kind of the capital intensive nature of you know owning aircraft uh, you know, for us, the jet card model has worked out really well. You mentioned NetJets. That's a really great company. Um, they really specialize more in fractional ownership and ownership of the asset and, and leasing of the asset. They, they prefer not to be in the jet card space. Uh, they really have a, a different model that, you know, they want to get a return on the jets that they have, and it takes quite a bit of time to do that. Whereas for someone like us, uh, we, we pre-buy time, and that's the only thing we pre-buy. So that's really worked out well for us. I'd also say that um, based on the model, we've been able to probably be one of the most flexible for the consumer. So we can change times, we can change aircraft sizes without penalty. Um, and so based on how the consumer has responded to the market over the last 15 years or so, uh, we, we've had the good fortune of rising along with it, but it has also seen both uh, folks, you know, exit the business or it has seen consolidation. And uh, I've been involved in, in some of the uh, mergers and acquisitions work that's gone on there. But for the most part, what we've seen is this approach that we've taken, the asset light approach, you know, has been the real winner when it comes to the jet card space. So if you're just tuning in, I'm Rob Cunnivere, and you're listening to Launchpad on SiriusXM's Business Radio, Channel 132. And my guest today is Andrew Collins, the president and CEO of Sentient Jet. So it sounds like in some ways the, the analogy is closer to renting a car if you think you need a car just for a trip as opposed to lease, leasing a car that you're expecting to be driving several times a week all year long. Yeah, I think that the flexibility that you have um, is is akin to something of that nature, albeit, you know, you do have to pre-purchase something in advance uh, for us to maintain the relationship with you, but it's not far off. That's not a bad comparison. So you started with the company, I think, in 2004. Does that sound about right? In product management? Yep, that's correct. And yes. what did you start yep, out doing exactly and how right. did you how did you work your way up to president and CEO? So uh, I'd say a couple things. I, I came in as the company's first director of product management. I was coming out of business school here in Boston. Uh, I had come out of technology and digital media. So uh, I think I had a nice blend of uh, skills at the time that it was, you know, a role that was meant to help advance uh, the original core product. And what I found was that role in itself uh, turned into a a kind of a, a, a multifaceted role where I had exposure into, you know, our finance team. I was on the marketing team, worked quite a bit with sales and revenue and revenue management. 
And so over time found that uh, I started to learn the business from a very unique purview. And we were additionally a, a company owned at the time by uh, private equity. And so uh, I learned the ropes of, of being an operator within a private equity world. And as we were sold to a different private equity owner at one point, uh, I think both my skill set and kind of the knowledge base that transferred uh, of being in that kind of a culture worked to my benefit. We were eventually bought uh, by a strategic group, and that's where we've been for the last, say, eight years. Uh, so it just, I think, was what looks like or feels like a natural evolution when I look back on it, but it probably was anything but. Um, it just sort of worked out that I held a different set of uh, unique roles and timing is everything as they say. And, and our chairman now, uh, you know, took me to dinner when he was thinking about buying the company and it was supposed to be a 90 minute dinner and it went about five and a half hours. So I think we had chemistry. Whoa. Where were it, you? It, you know, what kind out. of dinner was this? <laughs> uh, where where was, was the it dinner? Was, it was uh, in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I, I won't forget it. And uh, it was, it was one where we both weren't sure how the, how the dinner would end, but uh you know, one thing led to another, another course, another drink, and uh, we found out we had a lot in common, but we also had a lot of passion for, for private aviation. And he's been in private aviation for a long time and has a very unique background as well. And, and so it just, you know, tended to work out. And I think also that the context of the market worked in our favor as well. So, um, you know, as sort of I took hold uh, the market started to shift. I think we, we anticipated a few things and, you know, the numbers started to fall into so, place and we, you know, that's so you what say happened. A, you, say a, you say a strategic buyer, was there a company that was working to roll up a number of people competing in this market at the same time and then start to build scale or what was the strategic buyer looking to do when, when acquiring your company? So we're, yeah, it's a great question. We're we're part of um, a, a portfolio known as One Sky. Uh, the underlying owner is Directional Aviation, uh, and we have multiple flying brands within uh, the organization, and they all represent a different type of customer in the segment and the way they buy. So we have a sister company called FlexJet, which is a very large fractional ownership and asset-based program that caters to customers that want to purchase assets and, and have the means to do that and, and the profile to do that and are attracted to, to brand new aircraft. Uh, Sentient Jet, which, which I run, which is a jet card company. And then we have another company called FX Air, uh, which is an on-demand private jet card company or private jet company, which has no commitments. You just simply fly as you need and you don't have to buy anything ahead of time or, or make any pre-commitments, but you're spot on, Rob, which is it, it's a group that's built scale and has been one that's now uh, a multi-billion dollar top line company and uh, employs, you know, thousands of people and uh, really figured out that there was a unique kind of almost storefront mentality to the buyer in terms of how they wanted to buy into private aviation. And we just wanted to meet each consumer segment's needs and, so it's really grown since that uh, the time we were acquired and, and continues to do so. So is the idea there when you talk about the different customer segments that somebody might work their way through the segments? So they start with, okay, I'm gonna 
I want to have one flight and see what it's like. I've, I've just made some money and I'd love to fly with my friends or my family from San Francisco to New York. And then they buy it on demand. And then they say, oh, I think I like this. Maybe I'd like some more, but I don't want to make the large commitment. Is, is that why there are these different segments? Or do people tend to stay in the same segment over time? The, the segments can be sticky, right? Like, so we have, you know, our average customer stays with us about four and a half years. But it's actually interesting. It's, it's both the way that you've outlined and illustrated, which is somebody who's a new entrant that comes in, tries charter and decides, you know what, maybe I need something a little more formal. So they move over to a jet card or a fraction. And other times, somebody's profile has changed. They've retired from a corporation and they might own a fraction, but they no longer need the fraction. So they're looking for another way of flying and they might choose to have a jet card, which is lesser of a commitment. So it can happen on both sides, but it is about the journey. And what we've really tried to represent in our portfolio is, you know, touching every facet of the customer journey in private aviation. Yeah, well, one, of, one of the things I've, I've wondered about private aviation is it's clearly of a lot of value, especially if somebody is really making a lot of money or is wealthy or their time is worth a lot to them because of the things we were talking about earlier on the show. Is it an industry that is quite large, but roughly the same size, or is it an industry that's growing? And if it's an industry that's growing, is it growing because the costs of aviation are coming down, or is there some other driver? Actually, I, I would tell you that, you know, going back to the prior question as well, you know, someone who's flying on demand right now might be somebody that's got a family member that's immunocompromised, for instance, and has decided that they don't want to travel commercially anymore and they will pay the premium to come in and fly privately. So, you know, the, over the last three to four months, you know, in our typical months, about 30% of our customers are new. And I would say that, you know, the last 90 days, more like 60% of our customers are brand new. So there really is a shift happening. And I think that is ultimately going to be fueling growth. I also think businesses will eventually travel differently as well. However, to your point, um, in order for private aviation to kind of get past the total addressable market that it's in now, uh, you, you really will need aircraft and equipment that has lower operating costs and, and such. And those things are coming. Uh, the financial crisis slowed down some things along the way, but my guess is, is that private travel is something that, you know, as we go through various cycles and contexts in our world, uh, will be something that will be really important. I would tell you pre-COVID, uh, our market was probably seeing 10% or our, our industry was probably seeing 10% of the addressable market at any given time with 90% of, you know, the pre-qualified buyers staying on the sidelines. But those folks have started to unlock because it's starting to address a different need now. Uh, so I think it, it probably was a, an industry that was seeing some growth in it, right, and, and in different pockets. Uh, in some other pockets, you might have just seen companies stealing share from one another. Uh, but as we move forward and as we come you know, out of this, knock on wood, uh, I tend to think that that and the propitious alignment of, of you know, aircraft that are more efficient, that have lower operating costs and are more technologically advanced – I think it'll set the model in a direction that the, the total addressable market will expand eventually. Yeah, well, one of the other things you talked about was this mix between business and personal. 
as the personal business has gone up, and I think you said it, it's gone up to as much as 90% of traffic today, has it changed the mix of the size of jets and the type of jets that people have wanted one direction or the other, or is it about the same? Uh, we're actually seeing longer stage lengths right now. So in a typical market, we'd probably see something around two hours, and our average has moved to about two and a half hours, pushing towards three. Uh, some of that is fueled by, you know, aircraft that they call the super mids, which are by brand Challenger 300s, 350s, or Citation 10s. Uh, I, I just think as, as, you know, people have come into the market, have gotten more sophisticated with the usage uh, of private jets, they've started to, you know, take on longer flying. Um, additionally, some of the aircraft that are now available in the market weren't normally available. Uh, you know, five, seven years ago and have also started to unlock. And so that's afforded the opportunity for, you know, aircraft of a larger size to be at a, a price point that might be a little more optimal for some folks and they make the jump up. So uh, it, it certainly has, we've seen both a, you know, kind of a product and an aircraft mix change over the last, say, seven years or so. And with the pandemic, has it been, you, you were talking about these slightly longer stage lengths. Have they been to larger jets or smaller jets or not necessarily a change? Um, I think you're finding that uh, it, it's slightly been an uptick in terms of that stage length. And, and what we track something called revenue per leg, which is really just based on two factors, how long the trip is and how much of an hourly rate we're charging. And our revenue per leg has gone up 24% during the pandemic. And, and what that tells me is, is that people are using bigger equipment and they're flying slightly longer, uh, you know, durations. So it, it has changed during this and, and we're actually witnessing it. Whether that stays as a trend, I think it's still too early. Uh, you know, even though we're, we're flying somewhere between four and 5,000 passengers a month, um, I still think the sample size is a little too small after 90 days to really understand it. We'll see what the fall holds. Um, and then beyond, once, you know, a vaccine takes uh, root and things like that, we'll see how we come out of this. But we certainly have seen that in the last three months. Yeah, one of the things that I was uh, curious about when I was looking at your background before the show is um, what what is the biggest jet that you can rent or you can lease or, or you can ride on Sentient Jet? Um, you can get a, uh, a Gulfstream, you know, like a G650, uh, a Global, uh, those type of aircraft. We can help you with uh, what they would call 121 charter as well, which is, you know, when someone needs a, uh, a private commercial aircraft where they need to have, you know, 30, 40, 50 people on board. But from a common standpoint within our product set, Typically, you know, the aircraft that we would see is something like a G650, which is, you know, 14 to 16 people maximum. Um, but that's that's the one, you know, the, the globals, those are the ones that have also the longest range and can fly from, you know, here into Europe and beyond. Uh, so that, that's something that we see our consumers on a weekly basis uh, utilize. Uh, obviously, right now, they, they utilize them in careful ways or, or can't because of the restrictions overseas and such. But uh, for the most part, that, that's where you would dial in, I think, uh, on kind of a larger cabin aircraft. More common is that super mid aircraft that I was mentioning, which is for about eight passengers or so and can go cross country. And that's, that's that Challenger 300 or that Citation 10. 
So we have we have a few minutes here, but I did want to ask you a couple of pragmatic questions here. And and one is we were we've been talking about the pandemic. How do you make sure that the planes are clean for customers? Yeah, that's a great question. In fact, uh, we've we've gone through and we've have uh, protocols that we set up very early. Um, I really feel like we shifted in late March and early April into almost a utility type of uh, of a program. Um, we make sure that our operators uh, are utilizing a micro shield technology, uh, which we've defined for them, which is you know something that's antimicrobial, has up to a year uh, of strength to it, but allows for um, you know the sanitization in a major way through a cabin. Uh, every flight has a wipe down afterwards and a sanitization. We have a safety protocol uh, that happens an hour ahead of time. Um, we're known in the industry for having certified a very rigorous safety program in general. Uh, so when this happened, there was quite a bit of things we were already doing, but uh, you know, you will find that crews have masks, there is social distancing, uh, there is disinfecting, there is PPE on board. Um, there's a wide variety of things. We are very careful now uh, when somebody is ordering everything from catering uh, to what time they're showing up at, at an FBO, a fixed-based operator, which is the building you come into typically if you're not going right to the tail. Uh, right down to, you know, the providers that provide our black sedan service, uh, we have a uniform provider, and that provider also has protocols that, you know, we've inspected, audited, and made sure uh, are, are appropriate for the time. So it's a it's an well, important It sounds like you've paid a lot of attention to a lot of things here. And one final pragmatic question here, uh, and we've got a little less than a, a minute here. When somebody's invited to fly with somebody else on a private jet, what's the etiquette and do you tip the captain? Okay, good question. I would have you Google it with less than a minute, but we call it jetiquette. And in jetiquette, <laughs> you typically, tip, typically let your host on board first because they have to you know, select their seat. Um, it is debatable whether you tip the crew. I tip the crew. I think that they do a, you know, a very unique job and, and work very hard. Uh, and I think there's a variety of ways that you can look at um, you know, flying privately. Always bring your ID. You're not a ninja, so you can't really just stealthily fly through the skies. You do have to identify yourself. <laughs> make sh make sure you dress appropriate and not embarrassing your host. Um, and then, you know, at the end of the day, right, tip your crew and, and be grateful because you got to fly private and it's a great thing. Yeah, and I guess being on time is probably something that's particularly important as well. But Andrew, thank you so much. It's been a great conversation today and really appreciate your taking the time. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And for people who would like to learn more about Sentient Jet, where should they go? And uh, where can they also follow you as well? So you, two things. I would tell you to go to sentient.com, S-E-N-T-I-E-N-T.com. I linked in also with people. It's Andrew Collins. Or you can follow me on Instagram at AP Collins. Great. Well, thanks again, Andrew. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.